Hey guys, you're listening to Mastermind.fm, the podcast about doing business with WordPress. Your hosts today are James Laws from WP Ninjas and myself, Jean Galea from WP Mayor. John and I would like to take a moment and thank WP Engine for being the first official sponsor of Mastermind.fm. We're honored to have such a great host investing in this show as well as all of our listeners. As we were discussing this new partnership, the team over at WP Engine provided us with an exclusive offer just for Mastermind.fm listeners. This offer is for four months free when you pay for a year of hosting. To take advantage of this great offer, simply enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. As someone who runs an e-commerce business, I can't stress enough the importance of having solid hosting, and WP Engine is one of the best. If you haven't settled on a host or you're thinking about making a switch, uh, we hope you'll give WP Engine a try. And send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm and let us know about your experience with their fantastic service. In this episode, we'll continue talking about business models for WordPress. And this is actually part four of the series of podcasts that we're making on this topic. If you haven't checked out the previous three, please go ahead and do so. We've been talking about different uh, models in each episode, but it's good to have a general idea of all the possibilities by listening to the four episodes um, after each other. So James, what are we going to discuss today? Well, I think our big topic, right? We, so we have, we've covered a lot of uh, different business models from freemium to premium only to marketplaces to uh, add-ons. I mean, pretty much we've covered the gamut. The one that we left off, the one that we have yet to touch on um, most specifically is SaaS. So that I would say is, uh, is the one. So for people listening, if who may not know what a SaaS is, John, why don't you tell the, tell people kind of what the SaaS business model is? Yeah. So with SaaS, usually instead of downloading the product, you're actually paying for using, it's actually not even like that, James, is it, is it always downloading a product or is it, there's a distinction between downloading the product or having a service that you use online or is it, is it a membership kind of thing? that distinguishes uh you know i think SaaS is fairly open-ended right like you can do it a, lo- a number of different ways so some will give you a plug-in or something that you can download that integrates with their service um i think of certain services like i think of that is like a kismet is uh is technically kind of a SaaS service right they you install a plug-in that connects to their service and communicates with their servers to provide the service of anti-spam that they provide but there are others that are um you build everything on their site on their in their server space and they give you like a javascript snippet to implement it onto your own site a service like Optimizely would actually probably qualify under that, right? Like you, you don't necessarily have a plugin that you install. They just give you a JavaScript that you you load on every page, and then their service connects to that JavaScript. Yeah. So perhaps we can look at a few examples and just briefly talk about how they do this model. For example, on this list, I have Optin Monster from uh, Syed and and Thomas Griffin. So basically, this started out as a as a different model, and then they changed to SaaS. So before you, you could just download the plugin, Optum Monster, and design the pop-ups on within your WordPress admin. Nowadays, you log into their website, design your pop-ups, and then the plugin is just a connector uh, between the service and your site, as you were mentioning. 
Yeah, and as we're talking about WordPress businesses, something to note, like Optin Monster has a WordPress plugin to connect with their service, but Optin Monster can be used on any site. Like it doesn't matter if it's WordPress or Drupal or Joomla or Weebly, Wix or Squarespace, right? Like their service can be used on any of these installs. They, out of convenience to the WordPress community, have a plugin that connects that service together in your WordPress install. But I believe they have just a basic JavaScript option kind of a drop in to any type of site that you want to drop it into so there's an this is an example of a of a plugin that's do it can do it both ways it provides a plugin as well as other ways of connecting to it i would assume you don't need to use the wordpress plugin to use it on your wordpress install you could just use the javascript that they provide the plugin is just a convenience right and as we talk about that then it's important to make the point uh, clear that Having this type of model will give you a much bigger market because you're expanding beyond WordPress. Yeah, we always like to talk about how great the WordPress uh, market share is, right? Like I think now it's up to 26, maybe 27% of the internet. I don't remember the last time I heard. I think it was 26. Yeah, I just had 2% every year. (laughs) Had a percent every year. Yeah, that's right. right? And so we say, look at how big this market is that we can sell to. And and there are lots of plug-in companies and product companies and service companies that are exclusively WordPress and are are making a lot of money doing that because the market space is big. But the thing we have to remember is that when you're selling to 25, only 25% of the marketplace, there's 75% of the marketplace that you are not selling to. And a SaaS gives you the opportunity to open that wide open and say, I don't just service 25% of the internet, I service 100% of the internet. And that's that's obviously where the best earning potential is, right? I mean, if you can market it to that other 75% properly, uh, which is for some companies is a big if, but if you can market to that other segment, uh, your your company could get huge, right? And while uh, WordPress has indeed been growing its market share enormously over the past couple of years, my hunch is that still a huge percentage of that 25% or 27% as a certain type of site, say simple blogs. And maybe your plugin or your service might be targeting a different audience. And maybe that audience is mostly not on WordPress. So going for this model would make a lot of sense in this case. That's that's actually a, a really great point because you think of even like our products. Uh, you know, I, I, we make our money from forms from people who need very generally more advanced features and forms. But out of that 25% of the WordPress market, uh, our market share may be 5%. It may be 2% of that 25%. And all of a sudden, we are limiting our earnings potential or our company growth by only servicing that group. Uh, same for you, right? You have a plug-in uh, WP RSS aggregator. Um, what percentage of that 25% are trying to get an aggregate of feeds together to display on their website in some way, shape, or form? Probably a really small percentage. So that, that, that definitely can see where making the switch to open up and broaden your, your market could be a, a have huge potential. Awesome. So let's take a look at some other examples. We mentioned VaultPress, Akismet. Did we mention VaultPress? VaultPress is a backup oh, we system. Didn't. Yeah, it's a backup service for, uh, for WordPress. Have you ever used VaultPress? I do. I use it on both Aggregator and um, WP Mayor. Very cool. I've, I have used it on one site. And it's a great service, right? It's... 
uh, that you do install a plugin on your side on your WordPress install and it connects to their servers and it just does regular syncing backups of your entire site uh, and gives you the ability and, and also checks for things like uh, can check for weird code changes or things that don't seem to jive and it, that they find suspicious and notify you of those things so that you can update them. Yeah, definitely gives you the ability to sleep at night. <laughs> it's a good service. Yeah, and that's by automatic, actually. It's um, one of Matt Malinweg's companies or ventures. A similar service is BlogVault, uh, which has been gaining a lot of popularity recently. It's uh, worth checking out as well. Then we have something like WordFence, which is more focused on security. So WordFence runs scans on your websites, on your code, and notifies you if there's anything strange uh, in the plugins or code base of your website. Again, this is a service. And like in this case, in the case of WordFence, the kind of scanning that has to be done is like processor intensive. So in this case, it would make sense for it to be done on their servers rather than yours. And this can be another consideration why you would go for a SaaS model right from the start, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Another service that comes to mind is uh, Nelio A-B testing. Again, you're doing A-B testing. There's a lot of um, processing that needs to be done better if it's done on their server. And on your website through the plugin, what will display is the charts and stuff related to that. Absolutely. Um, some other services that are kind of SaaS services that you might look at is things like uh, iTheme Sync um, or Manage WP are kind of similar kind of services, right, where they let you create log into a dashboard that's not on your site, but it connects all of your WordPress installs and lets you control things like updating plugins, updating themes, um, maybe getting backups uh, like with iTheme Sync works really well with their other product, Backup Buddy, and lets you store that stuff. Um, they actually have another service, I believe, called Stash that lets you store it on their servers as an additional place to back up your data, which is really uh, a helpful service. And I think iTheme Sync is something you're going to want to look out for as it expands what it's able to do. Uh, they have a lot of big plans, I believe, coming for that. And having used it a little bit and using it for my own sites to do just quick updates and to get notifications when things are behind, like it'll send me an email saying, hey, you have these plugins that need updates. Uh, that Just getting that little information so I don't have to spend all my days in my dashboard looking, okay, what needs to be updated? It'll just send me emails and notify me and give make it really easy for me to just one click, go ahead and update everything. Uh, services like that are really cool, but they're, they're doing more and more and working with other uh, products and plugins to create a more immersive experience to connect to that data uh, right from a single dashboard. So those are other kind of SaaS products that you might look out for. Yeah, and in the case of SaaS, one other big advantage is that you don't actually offer the code of your product to the users because that's stored on the server. What you're giving them is a small plugin that acts as the connector. And this has a big advantage in terms of, say, intellectual property. We know that with the GPL, with WordPress, you're basically giving away your code base to every user. And this can lead to abuse eventually. So, in fact, many investors have shied away from WordPress businesses for this specific reason, right? And perhaps having more WordPress business 
people go for the SaaS model will lead to more investment in the WordPress space. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You think about, uh, I don't know if anybody watches the show Shark Tank, which I am a, a huge fan of. I love watching um, these, these people kind of make these deals, but you'll constantly hear one of the investors like Mr. Wonderful or something say, there's nothing proprietary about this. There's no reason why I can't just have somebody else do this and provide the same service. So why would I invest in you? And that is kind of the trouble of the WordPress plugin space, right? There's nothing proprietary about our code. If I get, you know, perfect example, somebody wants to take all of NinjaForms code, our add-ons, and, and buy them, they can take them and do what they want with them. They can repackage them, they can put a new brand on it, and they can release it as a competing product. You can do that with Gravity Forms. You can do that with any plugin, right? Um, and so there is nothing other than perhaps the service behind the plugin that you provide that's considered that can be considered proprietary. Like this is our thing. SaaS removes that uh, risk because you're not like as John said, you're not giving away the code. You're not putting it. You're not giving. You're not distributing code. You're you're actually providing a service, and the code runs on your servers and your servers alone. And that is an advantage. I think another advantage of the SaaS market is not just the control of the code base, uh, but the control of the server environment. When you're providing a plugin, you're getting that plugin installed on every permutation of WordPress install you can think of, various different themes, other plugins, different PHP versions, and MySQL versions, and uh, all this stuff that can go wrong. But in a SaaS, generally, you control the server environment. So when somebody's working and interacting with your product, you know the PHP version, and you have optimized for it. You have optimized your, for your database. You have optimized for, the, for all of these things that you are maintaining. And that gives you a great deal of control to make sure that your product always provides the best user experience possible. Uh, so I think that's a huge advantage of the SaaS as well. That's an excellent point, James. And as an aside, if you haven't watched Shark Tank, that would be a great show uh, for you to watch if you're into business. Um, going back to what you have been saying, I think another interesting point to mention is better insights. Uh, what, what do I mean by that? So we've seen many plugin developers um, use services such as Freemius, who were talking earlier on about this. Um, the, the real issue of how to know what your users are doing with your plugin. With the way we distribute plugins, we really have very limited ways of knowing what the users are doing with our plugins. But with a SaaS model, since most of what they're doing is on your website, like in the case of Optin Monster, um, you, you have a much better knowledge of how they're using your product and which features they might dislike or whether they like your new newest feature, who knows. So you can run a lot of A-B testing within your own plugin. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And you also have things like, I'm sure Optin Monster knows how, you know, they, they're able to tell how many opt-ins are being displayed. They're able to tell, I'm sure, how many successful submissions or successful uh, signups are their, their service across their entire platform is getting. So now when they're trying to sell data or when they're trying to sell their product or service to somebody, they're saying, hey, Optin Monster has this kind of a conversion rate. Optin Monster provides this uh, uh, stopgap. This Optin Monster solves this real problem. And here are the numbers to prove it. You become an expert in your space. Uh, Formstack is a SaaS form builder plugin that does mostly lead generation. And they do the same thing. They have used their, their experience of all the people who are using their forms 
to get data on what forms convert better and to get data on how to best present a form to your user. And so these types of this type of data can let you sell your service better. It can also help you improve your service. Uh, so yeah, insights is huge, I think, uh, when it comes to a SaaS, a SaaS market. And what about some issues that we can mention with regards to the SaaS model? Because every model has its own pros and cons, right? So in my notes, I have something like complexity. It's probably the biggest, the most difficult model to nail and make it right from all the models we've discussed so far. Obviously, you need to know how to build a good server infrastructure. And whereas with a plugin, you're just sending out the plugin and that's it, you know, on a SaaS model, you have to really make sure that the uptime of your website is as close to 100% as possible. And you're, there's a lot more responsibility on your end as a product owner. Yeah, I think with a SaaS, you're, you're absolutely right. You have scalability that's a concern because instead of having one user logging into their one admin and doing just the process they're doing, you have all of your users logging into your admin, your dashboard, and doing all of these things. So being able to scale that and make sure that your 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 application that they are logging into is as performant as possible is really important. Um, you probably take on new team members at this point, or you start training team members to do new things. So instead of just developers, you have DevOps who are working with how do how do servers run and how do how are these uh, all of these instances happening? How are your databases scalable? Um, you know, all of this different stuff. And you may not in the beginning have to ha know, have a, like a DevOps person. You may just partner with a really good host who's already doing this for another service. So perfect example is Optin Monster is hosted on Pagely. Uh, and they have worked with them as as a kind of a team to to scale this thing and figure out how this thing works. So right there, Pagely has a little bit of experience anyway working with a WordPress SaaS service. So then they may be somebody you reach out to and say, hey, how does this work? And can is there is there you know can we partner together to do something like this? Yeah, that's an excellent point, James. I would definitely recommend that you look into the hosts behind these SaaS services if you're interested in building something like that. And as you as you were talking about better insights, I also thought about content marketing. Right, we're seeing many product owners using content content marketing very successfully. And uh, Optin Monsters, I know we keep repeating Optin Monsters, just that they really have a good product and they. They do their marketing right so what they do is observe the trends and how the users are making use of their service and then report back as you are saying with statistics but not only that they actually help their uh, users by giving them tips on how to make better converting pop-ups and and the like and that sort of provides the fire for their content marketing you know every month they can keep churning out these great articles on how to improve conversions on your website but i think and i think that opens up like you talked about what are the, some of the challenges of a of a saas space to me one of the biggest challenges is marketing um, we are in the WordPress community, and I don't mean this in a, in a derogatory way, we are notoriously bad at marketing. We're good at marketing to each other. Like we're good, like a lot of NinjaForms customers are people, you know, that I know in the community or WordPress community people. And that's why I think we bring up Optin Monster so much because Syed is a brilliant marketer. He knows how to market beyond the WordPress community really, really well. Whereas I think a lot of us are learning how to do that. And so if you're going to go into a SaaS, you have to, you, I think you have to become 
a great marketer beyond WordPress. Most of us, that's why lots of us like the freemium model, right? We get to put it in .org. We have an instant audience. That's why a lot of people sell on Code Canyon or ThemeForest. They have an instant audience marketing to people who are looking for those products. But there are lots of people that are looking for the services you provide that are not in those WordPress spaces. They are looking outside of that. They are searching on Google and Bing, and they're trying to find these services. They are you know, looking at all, reading all kinds of content, trying to track down what should they be using. And if you don't learn how to market outside of your, outside of the WordPress bubble, if you will, if you don't learn how to expand beyond just people who are using WordPress, looking for WordPress solutions, you may have a hard time with a SaaS, I think. So I think that's definitely one of the challenges. Um, I don't think it's definitely not something that can't be take you know tackled but it's something you have to consider for sure yeah and as i look back at the list of products we mentioned all of them are products from companies which are very mature say they're automatic awesome motive for optin monster iTeams has been around a long time and word fans manage wp these are all big companies which have either come from outside the wordpress space and therefore know how to market properly and are searching for their piece of the pie within the WordPress space or have like 10 years experience within the WordPress space and know how to market their products. One other issue that can be problematic within SaaS is the issue of trust. So whenever we're connecting to the service, we have to naturally trust the service with our data. In the case of backups, these people are having a complete copy of our website. In the case of statistics, we're giving them access to maybe our e-commerce data. And that's all being stored on the servers of this company, which, you know, might always get hacked, might be used inappropriately by some employee. So I have to be very careful with whom to trust as well. Yeah, I think uh, that that is another challenge. I think that's part of that marketing side of things, right? As you're building a SaaS, you're, you're also trying to build your reputation as somebody who is trusted with the data you are asking people to provide you with. Definitely. So again, it makes more sense perhaps to have built that reputation over the years before attempting to do a SaaS product, especially if you need to handle sensitive data from the client's end. Right. And I think that's the natural flow that we see probably from most of these companies, maybe not all of them, but most of these products probably fall into a natural progression of growth and maturity as they go. So most people, as they get started, they, they get started in kind of the services side, right? Like I'm building websites for clients, I, whether locally or and I, I, I broaden that to outside of my regional area and build new clients as I build my reputation and my portfolio. But somewhere along the line, a lot of us kind of get a uh, uh, a hunger to get into the product space because we maybe are either tired from services or uh, we want something that's more reproducible. And so maybe we move into a productized service. We say, what do I offer that I can automate a little bit and create systems and processes that make it very easy for me to reproduce? From there, many times a product comes out of that that's just completely automated. It doesn't need my hands on it at all. The product just does what the product does and I hand that off. And from there, we make spend years messing with business models and I did it freemium or I did it completely premium or I did add-ons or I did a marketplace. I do all these different things. The next step after years of doing that, the next natural progression is now how do I turn this into a SaaS where I control the environment from top to bottom, from beginning to end and create the best experience I can. 
But the maturity of going from a service to a productized service to a product to spending years maintaining and running that product and supporting that product, I think sets you up to run a SaaS even more successfully. I'm not saying you can't just jump right into a SaaS. If you have the right team members, the right knowledge, the right uh, support systems, the right host, you can probably do it. But I definitely think the advantage is for people who have gone through the slower process of learning the space over time. Um, You can see that for like a backup service. For a backup service, you may say, you know what, I spent a lot of time for clients maintaining their sites and collecting backups and doing updates. And so that naturally turns into a productized service of, I'm not going to just build websites. All I'm going to do is backups for these customers, and I'm going to set that up. And then eventually that becomes a product, maybe like a backup buddy or something like that. And it's like, all right, I'm going to automate this with a product. And then it turns into a service because instead of just backing it up to your server, I'm going to back it up to my server so that you have your your content off-site protected. And then from that, maybe it becomes a control panel where you're managing multiple sites. Like That is a natural progression of a product that grows from a service all the way up into a full-fledged SaaS. Yeah, and uh, that probably starts addressing the question that I'm undoubtedly most of our listeners will be asking at this stage after listening to all these different models. Which model to go for in my case if I'm starting out or if I'm already experienced with WordPress? And before we go to that, I would just like to mention the last model that we've come up with, um, Donationware. If it's a model at all, what do you think, James? Uh, you know, I think Donationware in the freemium market has was the kind of default. We all kind of started there before somebody decided, hey, maybe I should just sell my product. And so WordPress made that easy. You could put a little bit of a, put a, a donation link in the sidebar of your plugin and, uh, on .org and people could donate. I think what most people found is people are not likely to donate. They, they think of this as a free product, and they just don't think to donate. It's just not something that I think instinctively we do as users. Uh, and so most of these companies, if you're trying to fund your business or your project on that, end up failing. Yeah, I think there are much better ways of monetizing your product than donationware. So for all intents and purposes, I would say just forget donationware at this stage so getting back to the question that we're asking which model to go for i think first of all it depends on the type of product that you are creating right if you're creating a simple software of say one page of code for an existing plugin it makes sense to say if you're making a plugin for add just put it on their marketplace or if it's independent from any other plugin maybe team forest will be good If you're starting out, it's a good place to learn the ropes, right? Or even if you don't need to make money right away, put it on .org and see what the user feedback is like. And perhaps that will spurn you to create some add-ons for your plugin. James, you have some thoughts? Yeah, I would would agree with that. I think if you... I mean, a great place to start, obviously, is to test the waters and see if your plugin has traction. Do people want the service that you're providing? So maybe you create what we would call an MVP, right? A minimum viable product that people, that does what it needs to do. And you, you release it for free and see, do people... Do people connect with it? Do people start installing it, downloading it? Um, Hopefully at this point, you've already spent a little time building relationships in the community so that you can get other people to test it out and give feedback, but kind of get it out there. Um, If you don't want to spend time building a full e-commerce store and taking that kind of a risk of buying all the products that are necessary to sell on your own website, 
uh, building for a marketplace or an established pr- plugin like Easy Digital Downloads or a Ninja Forms or something like that is a really easy way to get a product out there and test it out and, and actually get some development experience in the community with other developers, working in collaboration with other developers. So I think those are good resources. Um, other people will do something like Code Canyon or, or a theme forest if you're selling themes and say, I don't want to build a whole marketplace, but I want to just test the waters and see, does, does this theme fly? Does this plugin fly? And you can put it out there. So those are great ways to start. I think it also doesn't, it's not just about what kind of product you're offering, But it also, I think, depends on what kind of business you're wanting to build and what kind of team you already are. So if you're an individual person, um, it may not make sense to go all in building a huge site and a huge e-commerce store and doubling down on that first. It may make sense to start something with a free product or a marketplace because that you now have the assistance of a broader community to kind of help you through that process. Um, but if you if you want to move in that direction or if you think that this is something you're wanting to double down on, you can build a site for yourself and build it on your you know on your own and host everything yourself. Fairly affordable uh, and, and test those waters as well. So it really kind of depends on a, a combination of the product that you're offering, the type of person you are, how you're wired, um, do you have any partners? Do you have any other people that are involved in the process? So if, as an example, we started off with a premium product only. NinjaForms was premium only when we started. Um, but it wasn't just me. It was me and my partner. There was two of us working on it. He was in Europe doing his, getting his master's, and I was working a full-time job doing this on the side. And that made sense for us to just kind of build a site and test the waters. But when we found out that wasn't successful, we pivoted very quickly to a freemium model and tried that out. And when we found out that wasn't successful, we pivoted again. So some of it is just being willing to experiment and start, just get something out there. Pick a, pick a channel, see what starts to connect, and then start making decisions based on the data you're seeing with whatever model you decided to try. Yeah, definitely. That was a very good primer on which model to go for, I guess. I guess it also depends on your lifestyle as well. If you want to be working really hard, say... For the next four years on a specific product like you've been doing with the case of ninja forms that's one way to go about things and if you want to quit your job and travel the world for the next four years i would suggest something simpler you know like for example create an add-on for edd for example or ninja forms where in the case of edd at least they handle all the support for you so you just provide the plugin and then you can be traveling and doing your own thing for most of the week and you don't need to have to be there every day answering support tickets and this and such. And also all the payments are handled by EDD and you get a nice check at the end of, uh, of the month. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too, right? Like what, what kind of a lifestyle do you want to live? And are you trying to build a lifestyle business where this business just supports my family and my or my immediate team and does it well? Or are you trying to build something bigger? Um, that's going to that's going to change your your plans and your what step one looks like versus what step two and step three looks like, uh, because if you're just trying to support a lifestyle, you may not need nearly as much income as if you're unless you're as if you were trying to start a you know a full fledged uh, business that's going to take on more and more staff members and things like that. So, your goals have to kind of play into the role of what model works best for me. And, and as you talk about that, I mean, it's also obvious that 
you have to consider the amount of funding you have at the start, right? So if you want to build a SaaS business, chances are that you're going to have to um, put in a chunk of money until you build all the infrastructure, release the, the, the service, see how it goes. So you can easily burn through $20,000, $40,000 just getting things going. Whereas with a smaller plugin that you release on a marketplace or as an add-on, you can just code it yourself in your free time or while traveling and start making money right away as soon as you publish it. Oh, yeah, I think that's an important point too, right? In the early days, um, I've, I've always loved this kind of statement. In the early days, you can trade money for time. Because you don't probably have a lot of funding and a lot of money in the early stage, startup stage when you're trying to decide what you want to do, but you can trade time for money. So you may not have t money for marketing, but you can put in time to do good marketing. You may not have money for development, but you can put in time to develop it yourself. You may not have money to build to uh, take on an e-commerce site, but like we did, we didn't have the money in the beginning either. So I built my own little shopping cart out of with PayPal. Like I, I just built something. And it wasn't great, it wasn't glamorous, but it let us sell. And it let us sell cheap because all I had to do was invest my time. And so you can do that. You can get away with a lot of that stuff in those early stages. And then as your business grows, you can start to say, pull back and say, I'm going to spend less time. I'm going to invest more money so that I can have the lifestyle that I'm trying to prepare for myself. So yeah, absolutely. Great. So James, I guess we can close off this episode and the series about business models for WordPress products. Yeah. I'm sure many of you will have questions. So as always, please send all these questions and uh, queries about what we've discussed to podcast at mastermind.fm. We will be doing our best to answer your questions in future episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in iTunes and subscribe on mastermind.fm. And finally, you can find me on Twitter at Jean Galea. And James, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at James Laws on Twitter or at jameslaws.com. And before we close, uh, would you like to share some review? We have had some reviews come in. We really appreciate the positive feedback. Uh, Jean, would you read a couple reviews for us that we can share? Sure. So we, can, so we have one from France. Uh, the username is Atenax. And the title is Really Nice Podcast. So the review consists of this. I recommend this podcast for anyone who wants to start a business with WordPress. Thank you guys for making it free. Thank you, Atenax. And we have another review from Spain, uh, from Shadi Mana, uh, who says, excellent advice. This podcast is full of great advice for anyone freelancing or starting a business. These guys have done that and been there. So heed their advice to get a quick start and not burn out early. I think that's a very good, uh, burning out is important is something that we need to avoid so thanks Shadi for mentioning it and this is why we have been discussing business models we want you to get started on the right footing and again if you have any questions we're here to help you out I think that's all for today and we'll see you at the next episode thanks guys take care and see you see you next time <laughs>